Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Lasanti. David Gibson's my guest, the wonderful author, running a great program out of Fordham University to open minds and hearts. Stay with us. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Lasanti, and David Gibson joins me now. David is the director of Fordham University's Center on Religion and Culture. He began his career in journalism in Rome at Vatican Radio. During that time, David covered many of Pope John Paul II's travels and the elevation of Pope Benedict XVI. Upon his return to the U.S., David wrote for media, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal. He's also written for Catholic publications, including America and Commonweal. David worked for six years as a national reporter at Religion News Service, and he's been honored several times as the nation's top religion reporter. David is the co-author of Finding Jesus, Faith, Fact, Forgery. He's also co-written and co-produced several documentaries for CNN and the History Channel, including Finding Jesus, Faith, Fact, and Forgery, a CNN series based on his book. David is here with us today to tell us about Fordham University's Center on Religion and Culture, the role it plays, and how it seeks to engage and elevate the public dialogue about religion and culture. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, an award-winning journalist named David Gibson. We're here talking to David Gibson. David, welcome to our program and thanks for coming on. Great to be here. Thank you. Uh, David, let me ask you, uh, your story, your personal story is, uh, you know, people know you because of what you do at Fordham University, because of your writing, but I'm more intrigued first and foremost by anybody, uh, especially as an adult, deciding to come to the faith uh, not in the past uh, few years has it been that easy to be a Catholic. Someone chooses to embrace the faith. What went into your decision to convert? Well, um, it's a long story. We don't have that much time and that, <laughs> okay. and that much, and there's not that much interest. But, you know, I do, uh, I'll give you some background. You know, I grew up as an evangelical Protestant, a Billy Graham Protestant in, okay. in New Jersey. Uh, my first time going to Madison Square Garden was for a Billy Graham crusade. Remember, you know, those mm-hmm. in the late 60s, early 70s, back sure. in the bad old days. And and my mom's still a wonderful evangelical Christian. So that's kind of the background I grew up with. And that's not a an unusual migration, especially in the last 20 years of that kind of evangelicals kind of discovering the, the liturgical life of the church, mm-hmm. you know, the intellectual life of the church, of the Catholic church um, being, and, and those certainly drew, drew me. But also, again, my quirky own story is that, um, again, it's a long, you know, young man looking for his place in life and studied European history. And work, I worked in Washington out of college for a couple of years. wasn't great. So I, I bought a one-way ticket to Europe, and I wound up um, uh, traveling around Europe on my own for a year or so. And I wound up in Rome. And I got, um, I was working, I'd, I could write reasonably, and I'd never studied journalism. And I got a... a a job at an English language newspaper. I wanted to stay in Rome for a few months. I liked it. Hey, it's Rome. Right. You know? <laughs> There's worse things to do with your life. You don't know what you do with your life. Hey, do this. Um, so, you know, I got this job at this English language newspaper. And, um, but, you know, it was a very, um, you know, up and down kind of thing, mercurial kind of business. And someone said, well, they need somebody at uh, Vatican Radio. 
<laughs> English program at Vatican Radio. I'm like, well, uh, <laughs> by the way, I'm not Catholic. And they say, it's okay. It's run by the Jesuits. <laughs> they, they don't care, you know? And no, this is serious. And I'm like, also, I come from New Jersey and I've never done radio. And I see, you know, and, but they said, don't worry, we can teach you. And, you know, I always tell journalism students, look, I'm kind of, I'm sort of semi-serious and a couple of them have taken me up on it and done well. But if you're ever, your, your career is a total dead end, just travel to a foreign capital because the talent pool for English speakers, native English speakers is so shallow. Mm -hmm. So Vatican Radio hired me because they needed somebody to, to <laughs> the English language program. And um, the way leads on to way, I mean, it was great. John Paul was Pope, traveled around with the Pope to many areas, saw the, wor the world from this different vantage point. Right. Um, the universality of the church. It's, a st it's stunning. When you go to Africa, Latin America, and you see the mass celebrated, you know, the same mass, but in this incredibly different culture, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's so powerful. You know, we can all be parochial, yes. you know, even nationally. And God knows Americans, not to criticize us, but we can think the Catholic world revolves around the 6%, we're the 6% of the global church, you know, yeah, yeah. got to keep it. And so that's the church that I saw from that vantage point. And, uh yeah, after five years in Rome, four, almost all of them, four of them working for Vatican Radio, um, I left, formally left the employee of the church. A couple of days later, I was received into the church at the, at the Chiesa di Sant'Anna, the parish church of the Vatican City in Rome. Wow. Um, a friend of mine, who uh, Dermot Martin, who later became Archbishop of Dublin, uh, did it. Um, he was a curial official at the time. Um, I did, and Catholic Church is very efficient when it wants to be. It, I'd never been baptized because in <laughs> evangelicalism, you only have adult baptism, right? Right. And so we did baptism, first communion, and confirmation all in one mass, three for right. one. <laughs> you know, and, people, people would love to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I know, exactly. No, that's foolish. You, you got to spread out the parties, you know, here in, uh, in the state. But anyway, so as I said, the church can be efficient. The bottom line, it's a, it's a long story. It's a fun story. Uh, and then I came back to the United States and um, started my journalism career here. But, um, you know, so many of those things I mentioned, uh, the liturgical life of the church, mm -hmm. um, the, the, the role, the Catholic social teaching, and see the way it played out in places like Poland and in Africa and in Asia. And it's, you know, see that universality of the church. Sure. Um, it was a place... And again, you know, everybody's like, oh, the Vatican's that, the Vatican's that. There are a lot of wonderful people who give their lives in the Roman Curie, who, who serve there, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and the people I knew, and also everybody comes to Rome from all these missionaries I would meet, I would interview, mm -hmm. um, who literally were giving them their lives, the Jesuits in El Salvador at the time. I mean, right. amazing stories. They're witness. So more than, you know, and people, Look, people say, why did you become a Catholic? I, I have a one-word answer, the Eucharist. Mm. Okay? That's yeah. why I'm a Catholic. That's why I stay a Catholic. And people say, oh, it's the Eucharist. That's not how I got there. And that's where I wound up. Right. But you get there by an invitation. Yeah. By knowing people like yourself, right? Saying, look, yeah, and the, the church is or should be a place where you can come with all of your questions. Yeah. Like, why do you do this? This seems stupid. I don't, you know. And it's a place I could come with my questions. I had wonderful priests take you out for a 
<laughs> the Borgo Pio for a, a meal, chat, listen. And then you, you know, you're drawn in, you love the liturgy, you love all of these things. And, but at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you come for the Eucharist, to my mind. That's why you come and that's why you stay. And the other thing is, the last thing I say, say is a lot of people idealize the church and they're rightly scandalized mm-hmm. when we do things wrong, when there are abuse cases, all of this. To a degree, I was kind of, I think, inoculated by that. I, I saw the wonderful side of the church, yeah. but I also saw the less wonderful side. Right. Me, I'm a Catholic because of the Catholic faith and the Mm -hmm. church, and the Eucharist, I know I and you, we're all, the the place is full of saints and sinners and idiots and geniuses, right? Right. Nothing shocks me. And if somebody does something terrible, uh, that's a pain. That's terrible. It's a terrible witness. It's not going to drive me from the church. So that's my story. No, I like it, David. Thank you for that. Related to the Eucharist, uh, my first interview 100 years ago was with the film director, Frank Capra, and he said, <laughs> as a, <laughs> he said, as a Sicilian immigrant, he realized that to be successful in America, you didn't want to be Italian, you didn't want to be Catholic. So he left the church and joined any number of other Protestant churches for a while, and he said, uh, finally, his, uh, his Lutheran wife woke him up one day and said, you know, uh, we're going to Catholic church today because you need to go home. And, uh, and you're wow. never going to be who you're supposed to be until you go home. And he said, uh, when I asked the same question, well, what, what's different? And he said, all the other churches were fine, but nobody had the Eucharist. <laughs> he wow, said, that's a beautiful yeah. story. I never yeah. knew that. You and yeah. Frank Capra, you and Frank yeah, Capra. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it is a, it's wonderful a wonderful life. life. <laughs> I know, I know. That's a great story. I, I love that one. And it's, you know, and it is one of these things that's about going home. Yeah. And no one's going to drive you away from uh, that, really. Totally agree with you on that. Uh, let me ask you, David, this is a mm-hmm. left field question, but it's typical of me. Oh, um, most weekends, I, I get to do weddings. I probably do 100 weddings a year, but I don't like to have the last word in terms of preaching. And I always say to the couples, instead of me giving some generic talk on love and marriage, mm-hmm. why don't you tell me why you love each other and why you're getting married? And they each write me an essay, some good, some not so good. But when it came to Josephine, if you had had a similar assignment, mm-hmm. what has she got that made you say, of all the women in the world, this is the one I want to I want to build a life with. And it's funny. It's she is um, a generous, mature person who doesn't think about herself first. Wow. And she's beautiful, and it's, and I'm drawn to. But and I got to say, you know, I think I was always a reasonably smart student. Got great SATs, good grades, and the whole thing. But man, it took me so long to understand so many things. I became a, I only fell into journalism, as I told you, by going to Italy. I, I didn't ever study journalism. Then I become a Catholic by accident at the age of 30. And I didn't get married till I was over 40, you know? Wow. And there's a, uh, you know, the whole delayed vocation, second vote, the late vocations uh, in, in the priesthood. You know, there's something to that. There's something to, you know, later in life, you know, I think you recognize the real value the real gifts in certain people and mm. she's beautiful and I love her, but um, you know, you realize when you're with somebody, that kind of commitment, you want somebody who's really mature, knows themselves. Mm-hmm. You know that I yeah. think for me, if you, what I had to learn, what took me so long to, to learn was to learn to be on my own. Mm. And when you, when you can be on your own, 
that means you can be with somebody else. Wow. You know, when you have a sense of yourself, when you're not trying to find, you're not looking for a relationship yeah. in order to give your life meaning. In order to, you need to figure out who you are, is what I want to say. And then you can be a good partner or a good priest or whatever mm-hmm. to, 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 to your uh, spouse, your community, whatever it might be. That's my feeling. David Gibson's our guest. David, oh, I love the dog sound. It's beautiful. Uh, I apologize for that. These no, are, this, this it's is a very pan- human pandemic. Very, <laughs> it's a very human story. Well, Let me ask my, you too. My, my kid Stella's in the uh, you know, online school in the other room. If she oh. starts screaming, then I might have to run. So <laughs> perfect, perfect segue though, because yeah. I'm wondering for parents and grandparents who watch or listen to a show like this, um, mm-hmm. everyone's looking for the same answer all the time. Monsignor, how do we how do we share our faith with our kids? Have you and Josephine figured out is there a a particular right or wrong way to share faith with Stella? Uh, we have not. Um, we do, you know, say the prayers, you know, and in small ways. I mean, really, uh, you know, it's really you always care about other people. Bless this food to our body so that we may serve others. Even if we just say that before meals, that's it. Yeah. You always think of others as an outward uh, aspect, looking aspect of it. So it's not just... I get in my, you know, faith becomes so therapizing in, in our culture. Sometimes it's all, what does it do for me? You know what it does? It's like marriage, like everything we're talking about. You know how it benefits you when you reach out, when you look for others. So trying to drive that home, um, you know, I think that's uh, really vital. Mm-hmm. And we don't, I don't try and beat her over the head with it at all, but just try to show her the community. Again, I'm lucky I work at Fordham. She comes in, she sees the wonderful people. I'm lucky, you know, I know priests like yourself and, and all the, the people we know in common. I know wonderful people. I know wonderful Catholics. Yeah. That's how I became Catholic. Yeah. And um, is that's, you know, by knowing people, the witness mm-hmm. of other people. And to a degree, you know, my wife's, family, Italians, Brooklyn, the whole thing, they're all, you know, that's their classic, you know, classic cradle to grave Catholics. Right. You know, the thing is we're, we're seeing less of that to a degree. You know, I'm a convert mm-hmm. and don't, we can be the worst. We can be more Catholic than the Pope, as you see, but you know, to a degree, I think today we're all converts, mm. the old default Catholicism, you know, you're just going to do it. That wasn't always the best because you don't think about it so much. But now young people, they've all got to make a decision, right? Yes. They're not just going to go by reflex and say, oh, because my mom wants me to do it. No, they're not going to do it anymore. So with my kid, I want it to be a mature faith that she's like, no, this, I want to go, you know? And so that's what I'm hoping for. Right, right, right. You can help me out if anybody else has any uh, ideas. Please call me. <laughs> <laughs> David Gibson's our guest, and I mentioned earlier in the introduction about him being head of the Center on Religion and Culture at Fordham. We'll talk about that in a moment. But for our listeners and watchers around the country, too, David also writes, and uh, I have one book here, The Rule of Benedict, which I love that he wrote. But here's the thing about David Gibson is he's smart and he understands intellectual theological concepts. But we have lots of people in the church who, who know that stuff, but they can't put it into understandable, readable language. And that's David Gibson's guess, is that when you read his stuff, uh, he, I guess, because David, because you're a journalist. Is that why? I mean, I, you're, yeah, you're right well, I you. appreciate it. I don't think so. I'm my greatest critic, so I don't I don't know. And I, you know, it's, it's a struggle for me to express those concepts. Um, and I appreciate it if you think I do. I mean, I'm reaching up 
when I'm trying to explain those things, but I, I do think there's a problem. You know, there's so many great theologians, so many smart people, but can they communicate to the rest of us? So if I can fill that gap, you know, between the, that, that's a great thing, but it's um, hopefully that's a service I do. Hopefully that's mm-hmm. something that I've been lucky to look in my journalism career to cover religions, all of them, mainly Catholicism. Right. So I've become a bit versed in it. But, you know, I say being a journalist is sort of being a professional idiot, you know, professional fool, because you're asking those questions. You know, it, it forces you to ask the questions. You know, people who have a degree, they may be embarrassed to ask. Or a lot of Catholic, you know, you know. I go around, you know, when I started writing books and stuff 20 years ago, I started going around to parishes and I was so embarrassed. I'm like, I'm a convert. What do I know? I found there are a lot of Catholics out there who don't know some stuff, a lot of things about the Mm -hmm. faith. And, um, but they're embarrassed to ask because, you know, you grow up in the church, right? Like, oh yeah, I know what transubstantiation is, but do you really? So there's a real value. Again, I'm, my job has always been, I'm now at Fordham. Same thing as I was like, let's ask some basic questions. You know, let's do we really understand what we mean by the body of Christ? But do we really understand what we mean? Mm-hmm. You know, and and um, and don't be embarrassed to ask these things. I mean, you know, let's talk about ideology. When I mentioned David Gibson was coming on our program, I got from a couple of priests who you probably know. He's kind of on the liberal side, you know. And, <laughs> and then I, I know there are people who say of me because of my activities in the pro life movement, he's kind of conservative. I want to talk about ideology for a moment. Mm. 20, 25 years ago, I wrote a column in the Catholic press called Lacking Compassion. And uh, basically, my point was, if we're going to be a pro-life church, let's stop beating up on the gays uh, and understand that everybody's an equal child of God. I got such vilification for that, including mm. in my, my file in the Vatican. Uh, but I mentioned <laughs> that because when we had Cardinal Supich on recently, I said to him, I got a bone to pick with you. I said, I wrote a column 25 years ago that got me into hot water with the administration. The words I said then could have come out of the mouth of Pope Francis yesterday. It just doesn't seem fair that in a 25-year period, everything seems to change. My point is, when you're a faithful Catholic, as you and I try to be, what do we make of the swings in the church between those who, uh, I'm a John Paul priest, I'm a Benedict priest, uh, I'm a uh, Francis priest. What are we talking about here? Why are we buying into this ideological approach to religion instead of, hey, we're on the same team, folks? Well, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. And again, your words, you know, come out of Francis's mouth. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, real quick, when I say to people, I was lucky to be in St. Peter's Square when he was elected. Um, you know, people say, oh, you know, he's a wonderful pope. I really like him. I say, yeah, you know, he, but he, he basically seems kind of like most every nice Jesuit priest I know. I said, the only <laughs> miracle is that he got elected pope. You know, it's like, you know, he's like a regular parish priest. You know, it's like you, it's like, guys, you know, talk that way. He talks pastorally. Yeah. Um, Look, there's a couple of things. You put the hit the nail on the head, and again, you and Francis, ideology, that's mm. the poison. Yeah. Differences, and I'm writing an article about this right now. It's like divisions are bad. Differences are fine. Yeah. Here's a real problem in the church. We don't know how to disagree. And I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I you and I could, you know, I love, you know. Being in person, Twitter is bad, but you know, being in person, we get into arguments, <laughs> and that's fine over a, a beer in the bar, that's fine. Differences are fine. Mm. The fundamentals, just be aware of the, what are the fundamentals, the Eucharist, so all the things we get back to. But these differences are fine. It's the ideology. As soon as you get, become ideolo- ideological, you ban someone else. You're 
you should be out of the church. You're a bad Catholic. Right, you're right. a bad priest. You know, my, my lines, we're all bad Catholics. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you're, you're better than I am. I'll give you that. But <laughs> honestly, you know, who, who am I to judge? I, I don't know you. you, you know, so, and, you know, there's this ideological kind of thing where we bring this partisanship, mm-hmm. this kind of one, one, you know, you say this about gay people, all of a sudden they write you out of the pro-life movement. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. Um, you know, let's, we, we can work together on 90% of these things on, on 10% we disagree. Okay. That's fine. But you know what? We've saved these lives over here. You and me, mm-hmm. what's wrong with that? Uh, and again, it's just, um, you know, it's just a, a, a bad way to come at things. And also just one last point I'd True. make is these people say, Oh, we're going from J Paul, John Paul II to Benedict, whose birthday we're just celebrating in 94 uh-huh. to, um, Francis, there's not that much difference between them. Not much more than, you know, when you look, I mean, Francis isn't some wild-eyed liberal. I mean, he's got different views on things and great, but they're also hitting different registers. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, he's a more pastoral pope. Benedict's a theologian. John Paul, God, he was a philosopher. But but also John Paul um, was, you know, liturgically, Benedict and John Paul were on two different planets. I mean, I would see John Paul. I would travel all over the world. And like he would, he would celebrate masses that Benedict would never celebrate. Yeah. That's not a problem. That's a difference. That's not a problem. They hit different aspects of the same church. Yeah. And thank God for that. I don't yeah. want that to change. I want those different aspects. Um, yeah. I want to talk about if we have a few moments about uh, sure. cancel culture. And I want to get your read on it. Um, I'm in a parish on Long Island, three, 4,000 families, uh, very strong police, firefighters, that kind of thing. Great people. I'm seeing them uh, in terms of the world of political correctness, not changing their hearts and minds by being told about, uh, if you think this way, you speak this way, you're in trouble. Um, I just see them going deeper and deeper into hiding uh, where, all right, if, if this is politically incorrect and this is going to get me in trouble, I won't ever say it, but I'll continue to think it. I'm not sure cancel culture is doing what it's supposed to do, which is to hopefully make people redirect in terms of the bad attitudes we have. What's your read on it? When does it get too crazy? You know, it's um, you know, it's I think about this a lot because especially coming from media, coming from a a university setting, you know, apart from the faith, my my default mode is kind of, you know, open conversation. You know, you just disagree. Let's hear these things. Again, I just. I don't want to cancel anybody. Yeah. I may think I may think you're wrong. I may think you're an idiot or whatever. Right. You may think the same of me, and it's probably true. But you know, I want to have that conversation. Um, but I think there, there. I mean, I just it, it really raises my hackles. I think it makes people afraid because of what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. You can one little thing. At the same time, I think there are two things I would say about it. One is that um, cancel culture has been with us if not under that label for a long time, mm. the church has canceled people. Right, right, Look right. at Colin Kaepernick, you know, kneels at the national anthem. You may not like it, yeah. but look what happened to him losing his career. The whole thing. This is something that happens on both sides. Everybody does it. You know, some group doesn't like Disney supporting gay families and they boycott them. Mm-hmm. You know, they say, Oh, we need to boycott them. Others say, you know, we don't like, you know, Nike shoes being made in sweatshops. Let's boycott Nike. Every, you know, cancel culture, we have that instinct. I wonder if there's a bit of a American Puritanism mm-hmm. that's creeping in there. That's really, that, that, that's a problem. 
I also think I would say on the lefty side, on the liberal side, it's becoming the the way the powerless Mm. wield, try and force change. And I understand that. I've come to understand that with talking with people of color and women and gay people in the last year that's really made me see it a bit differently. But the one thing I will say is the problem, my main problem, is it's policing language. It's the point you got to. We're policing language so that I just won't say things. Right. But I'll still think them. I I promise, because you're running out of time, and I don't want you to miss this opportunity. Tell the people who are listening and watching about what you do at Fordham and how they can find out more about what you do. Great. Yeah, thank you. And again, it's uh, just three years, almost four years, I've sort of gotten out of daily journalism and on the Fordham. I call it honest work for the first time in my life. (laughs) Um, We're back working for the Jesuits again. Um, And it's great. It's called the Center on Religion and Culture. Mm -hmm. And it's based at the uh, Lincoln Center campus or has been. I haven't been into the office in a long time because of the pandemic. I'm looking forward to getting back and doing programs and seeing you, people like you, in person again. That'll be a a blessing in the fall. We put on panels, conversations mm-hmm. at our campus, at other places around. Um, in a way, we're kind of the outward-facing uh, organization of, of Fordham in the sense that um, we are, it's not just for Catholics, it's, it's topics. We did a consistent ethic of life. You know, Joe, Joe Bernadin gave his seamless mm-hmm. garment talk at Fordham in 1983. We did a, an event to mark that. Um, but we also brought in um, a pro-life humanist organization. They're pro-life atheists, mm-hmm. <laughs> evangelicals. Isn't that great? Good. Yeah. And, but again, my whole thing, this is not a immigration, poverty, all these things. These are not just Catholic issues. We bring our aspect to it, right? Mm-hmm. But we should be open to everybody and we should be, you know, and we want those conversations. So you bring all of your questions and we engage people. And again, that's what brought me about start to the, our conversation started. Why did I become Catholic? It's because it's a place where you could bring your questions, have open discussions, uh, and that's what we need. Differences are fine, divisions are bad, and so you you know we want I want, at Fordham. I want to do that. We hold these conversations, have people in, have great speakers, have great panelists, debates, the whole thing, and and that's um, you know we. We've been doing them virtually, but we're going to be doing them in person. And we want to start doing them around the city and the tri-state area. And how do people find out more? They can go to our web. You just Google Fordham Center on Religion and Culture, CRC, Fordham CRC, uh, backslash CRC, and they can find us, sign up for our events, get on our mailing list. We're on social media, all that biz. I want to thank David Gibson being with us. I hope our listeners and watchers will get his books, watch him when he's on TV, go to Fordham, either online or in person. Uh, David, you're a great gift to the church and to the world, and I'm so grateful for being on. Thanks for the chance to talk. It's great. As we get into today's program, I want to thank you all for being with us. If you need to reach me at all, go to personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also get past episodes of this program by going on YouTube and punching in Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Masanti. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe. Personally Speaking is also available as a podcast on personallyspeakingpodcast.buzzsprout.com. Or you can get our shows by going to www 
CloseEncounterTV.com, all one word. Additionally, personally speaking, is also on my parish website. I hope you go to that, www.ollmp.org. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, personally speaking. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.